Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by professional uh, triathlete Sam Appleton. One of the big reasons why I got Apo on is uh, because of his performance on the weekend at, at Ironman 70.3 Geelong, where he he won in like really dominant fashion in a in a really competitive field. Apo, can you sort of uh, take us inside your race on Sunday? Yeah, sure, mate. Um, thanks for having me on. Firstly, um, yeah, it feels good to uh, to start 2022 with a with a win in Geelong. I love that race. I've I've started my uh, my season there multiple times and had um, had pretty good success there over the years. So yeah, to continue that trend is uh, yeah is really positive. And uh, I think uh, when when I entered Geelong, I always hoped that Josh um, Amberg is going to be there because I, I feel like we complement each other really well and we know kind of what we need to do to try and make it a two horse race. And uh, yeah, so I was kind of stoked when he, he entered the race and we were um, like, we don't even need to say anything to each other. We just know straight away what to do to try and close the door on the other guys. And obviously I don't want to get off and run with five or six other guys. I prefer to get off and just battle it out with Josh and myself if possible. And that's kind of the way it, the way it went down. So yeah, we swam, we swam hard and biked hard. And fortunately I had good running legs to close it out and, and take the win, so I'm stoked. I uh, I was on the phone today to to Tim Van Berkel, who who came fifth in the race on Sunday, and he was sort of telling me um, telling me about the race and and talking to me particularly about you, your your role in the race and and like what you just talked about that dynamic that you and Josh Amberger create in the race, where everyone who starts an Australian professional seventy point three and has you and Amberger in the race knows that they're just going to be chasing. They sort of they just resign themselves to the fact that you boys will have a lead out of the water and, and they know they're going to have to like um, form a pack to try and chase you down on the bike. But they also know that you can probably outride them. And, and he said it just really like affects the dynamic of the race and, and makes it quite hard to compete for the win. You're sort of in a way competing for a podium place more than the win because it's sort of like everyone just expects one of you boys to win it when you race together. Do you guys, do you sort of like feel that when you, you and Josh race together? I mean, it's always good to have guys that are motivated to to work together. And Josh and I know that um, in that race, particularly like Geelong on the weekend, there's some really fast runners in the field. There's Steve McHenry run a 110 last year to win. Um, Burks is a great runner himself. There's Nick Free. There's Luke Willian, a couple of ITU guys. These guys have great, great run speed. And I don't want to get off and run with guys that can run 110 or quicker. You know, I want to... I want to try and close the door on those guys. And I think playing into, into my strengths, swimming and biking really hard, making it hard for everybody else is kind of the way that I have the most success in races. I think most of my, most of my 70.3 wins have come off swimming and biking really hard, um, kind of off the front, either by myself or with one or two other people and then closing it out with a strong run. And I think when the race is really hard, and really honest, it kind of takes away that run speed from some of those really fast guys. So um, yeah, Josh and I kind of knew that's what we needed to do to take that sting out of the legs of of the guys chasing. And fortunately, we were able to do that. So on Sunday, you, you and Josh don't have a conversation before the start of the race at all. You sort of, it's just a look or, or is it not even that? You've just done it so many times that you know, okay, we're swimming hard here. And, and then, I mean, furthermore to that, when you're out on the bike, is there conversation about, about this dynamic? Um, yeah, I don't think we really spoke about, um, you know, the race dynamic before the race. Um, obviously we chat, Josh and I are good friends and we chat, um, 
but we didn't really say, oh yeah, let's swim and bike really hard, but we kind of just know it's kind of, Josh and I have been racing for almost 15 years, I think through ITU and then up through into these 70.3 races. We know each other really well. And, uh, but yeah, um, to your second part of that question on the bike, I came past Josh and I knew Steve McKenna was kind of dangling off the back of our group. He was about 40 seconds back at a transition. And I said to him, uh, let's hit this hard so Steve doesn't get on. And then he came through after my turn and said, oh, Luke Willian, uh, he's on the ropes because uh, he got out of the water with us. So like, we kind of have that little words of encouragement. But then after about 30 minutes, we kind of just set about um, working together. I think we kind of were pulling like 10-minute turns. Um on the front and uh yeah and i think towards the end josh um started to you know the pace of the um kind of settled in for him and uh i was able to open up a slight gap um of only 10 or 15 seconds or so coming into t2 and then but i kind of used that momentum into the beginning of the run and uh and yeah i was able to close it out with a good run leg I sort of love this insight into into the races because uh, you don't really hear it very often. Triathlon doesn't really get like dissected uh, as to what's happening inside a professional race very often. There's sort of no platform for it. Whereas like every other sport in the world, you sort of um, get so much information about it. Like if you look at our major football codes and that, like the game's just dissected. But but when someone like yourself comes out and talks about a race like this, it's just like it just grips me. It's it's fascinating. Um, did you sort of? no leading into that race that you're in like good form because that's one of the the better races i've seen you i've seen you put like put out there in you know i want to say 12 months 18 months yeah absolutely i think um last year my run was kind of not up to scratch um i just kind of just really struggled throughout the whole year to find my running legs and feel good running and um I kind of had a bit of a longer break at the end of last year and came back with a renewed vigor in my training and started working with, uh, with Tim Reed. He's my new coach now. Um, and yeah, we kind of put into place kind of a running project that um, that's translated really well to this race in Geelong. So it's, it's kind of a nice confidence booster that we're on the right track. Um, but I mean, in terms of training really hard leading into Geelong, I, I was in good form, um, but you know, I took all of, pretty much all of November, December, um, not completely off. Like I was still doing bits and pieces, but it was all that kind of, you know, not training with structure, just kind of going out for the enjoyment. And then um, in the new year, beginning of January is kind of when we, when we knuckled down. So I did five good weeks of training leading into Geelong, but like, I definitely wouldn't say I'm in tip top a, a race shape because that would kind of be silly for a race in February. Um, when all the bigger races are falling kind of in the back half of the year. Um, but I was kind of surprised with how quickly my fitness and form came um, in training. You know, um, Tim and I were both kind of talking like we're in um, leading into the race that I was in a really good spot with my fitness and my numbers on the bike were good. I was running well. I was feeling good in running uh, most importantly after the last 12 months. And yeah, to kind of put it all together on race day is a big confidence booster and definitely going to use this as, kind of a launching pad into into the rest of the year and uh and the training moving forward so all of our guests um all of our um listeners sorry no no reedy whale he's um he was on episode one of this podcast and and uh he's jumping on to to co-host a few episodes going forward so we're all pretty familiar with him what what uh, is the relationship between you and reedy and, and why did you make the decision to to come back to to being coached by him after i know you were coached by him in about 2015 
and then moved away to Matt Dixon, another coach. So how did that happen? How did you come back to Reedy? Yeah, so uh, Tim first took me on in kind of 2014, I think it was around there. Um, I was kind of just getting into 17.3s and Tim was obviously um, doing really well. He was winning a lot of races and we we just struck up a friendship straight away in those early years and uh, and he could see that I was kind of, you know, had a bit of talent but didn't really know what I was doing because I was just kind of doing my own thing at that point. And then, uh, yeah, I went, kind of came into his stable and he uh, probably did his job a little bit too well and he got me really competitive to where – to, to the point where we were becoming actually main competitors in the racing. Um, so yeah, at the end of 2015, he kind of, um, you know, made the decision to focus more on his, his career and his racing and um, put me onto Matt Dixon, who was his old coach. And um, yeah, I had five great years with Matt, but I always felt um, like I wanted to come back to Tim. And um, I think he knows me as an athlete, but I think more importantly, he knows me as a person and that's, I think that's more important than writing a program, you know, knowing, knowing how I respond physically, emotionally, mentally to, to training, to racing, to eat, like life's external stresses, you know, everything, everything in life affects how you train and how you race. And, and Tim understands that. And he looks at kind of life holistically. He doesn't just look at training as the be all and end all. And that's something that really resonates with me. He kind of has that really good balance of, of training and lifestyle, which really appeals to me. And I think that's when I'm at my best as well, when I can, when I can have positives um, in training and have, you know, great life outside of triathlon. I think that's when I'm really excelling and Tim, Tim is great at facilitating that. So you two are like obviously really good mates, like you just said then, but how did the actual um, coaching relationship come back? Did Reedy approach you? Did you approach him? And it, had you sort of had ongoing conversations, you know, ever since you left? How, how did that all play out? Yeah, I think we had ongoing conversations kind of throughout the whole time that I was with Matt. Um, like always that I, not always that I was going to return to Tim, but Tim's so passionate about coaching and he was always um, eager to take me back on as well once his, um, you know, at the moment now he's kind of focusing more on his, his coaching. And um, I think I was also um, looking for someone that um, was not kind of half-hearted coaching as well. I wanted someone that was fully invested. And now that Tim is, I think it, it kind of makes sense. And now, and now is a great time. And as you said, we've been great friends. Tim was, he was my best man at my wedding in 2019 and we've been great friends uh, for many years. And, he spent his career trying to exploit my triathlon weaknesses, you know, to try and beat me in races. So he, he knows me, he knows what I need to improve on. And I think now having him in my corner, we can kind of uh, identify that and, uh, and work about, you know, work on all those weaknesses. And I think last year, my run was definitely a weakness. Um, I feel like my swim and bike were at, you know, the, the world level that they needed to be at those, at those big races. But my run, unfortunately, just what just wasn't there. And um, Tim had some ideas. We were kind of chatting all of last year about where we could go and, and kind of what we could do with my run. And uh, yeah, we, we, we put that into place at the beginning of this year and it's already paying dividends. How much of uh, how much of this can you talk to us about? I know that that like obviously coaching IP and, and more so maybe you not wanting to give away things to your competitors is is a big factor in professional sport. But how much of this sort of 
um, run training and like ideas about where your run can improve and how Reedy thinks it can, can improve can you take us into? I mean, there's no secrets, you know. I'm not going to sit here and spout off, you know, a, a key set, a, a secret session that nobody else is doing. Um, I think everyone, you know, all the all the guys are doing really hard work and doing really great work. But I, I think for me, um, I spent a lot of time kind of doing, I wouldn't say my running the wrong way, but um, I think with, with Reedy, we've kind of identified that um, kind of branching away from that really slow running has been beneficial to me because when I run really slow, I don't actually have great biomechanics. And um, we've kind of transitioned away from that really slow running to more, uh, how would you put it? I guess like I'm when I'm running easy, it's not, I'm not running out at five minute Ks like I used to and just plodding around trying to, you know, get the time up on the Garmin. I'm actually running with a little bit more focus and a little bit more structure. So yeah, we've kind of transitioned away from that super easy running and, um, and we've kind of built in a little bit more volume as well. Um, so at this stage of the, of the year, I've kind of been able to back off some elements of my swim and bike and bring up that run volume. Um, because, I don't think you can just add in more volume and keep the swim and bike the same because something's got to give. I think you got to, you got to kind of um, bring one up and maybe let the other two kind of just maintain a little bit. So that's something that we've done. We've built in some, some bigger run weeks and, and some more focused running as well. But in terms of like key sessions, nothing, nothing secretive or anything, but I've done quite a bit more, maybe longer running off the bike, like getting up to 14, 15, 16 K runs off the bike. Um, yeah. With a little more direction. Uh, I think previously in my career, my runs off the bike were a little bit shorter, more, you know, five, six, seven K. And I think now with a more run focused program, I'm doing a little bit more running and that's, that's uh, obviously paying off because I ran really well in Geelong. And I mean, my time was good. I ran a one thirteen but it was more the way I felt that I was happy with. Um, I felt kind of back to my, um, back to my old self when I was running really well, kind of back in those, I think 2016, 2017. And that was kind of a really big positive for me. So what, I mean, like there's a lot to unpack there and a lot that I'm interested about in that, because like you said, a, a big race I remember you doing was the world champs in 2016, where I like, even to this day, like I look at that and think that was one of the great races by you, where you you were like one of the best runners in in Ironman seventy point three. So what changed from that 2016, 2017 patch, you know, from like twenty eighteen through to twenty twenty two, where you like where your run just became, it's not a weakness, it's still like world class, but you you were becoming like less and less happy with it versus those early years because you were with the same coach that whole period. Um, and I assume you would have been doing pretty similar things, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think a lot of it, I think, comes down um, to my biking. I, I I think I got my biking to a really, like I was running well, like you said, in that 2016, 2017, and I was riding okay, but I really found that my bike came along kind of in that 2018, 2019 season, and that became almost my biggest strength and I think something it mentally um took over where I was obsessed with riding really really hard and thinking that was the only way I could win races is kind of 
riding really hard and making sure that I could hang on for the run. And I think that's kind of how I raced for a few years. Um, and I, I mean, I hesitate to use the word overbiking because I had a lot of success um, in those years. But yeah, I think my bike came along quite impressively. And then my run suffered a little bit with that. And then I was too scared to kind of take the time that I needed to work on my run because I didn't want to lose that bike strength. So like I said before, it's kind of, you can't, you can't put the same amount of focus into all three and in, uh, expect to improve all three equally. I think um, there has to be, you know, a bit of an ebb and flow, a give and take with each discipline. And, um, and yeah, last year, obviously it was my run and that's, that's now something that we're trying to rectify. Did you still feel like on, on at Geelong on Sunday, like your swim and bike were as good as they've always been despite, you know, pulling back away from them just a little bit to, to focus on the run? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I swam and biked well in Geelong. I wouldn't say it was my best. Um, I was, a, you know, my power was probably 10 watts down on some of my better 70.3 um, and half Ironman rides last year. Um but at the same time, it's also only February, you know, I'm not expecting to go out and post, you know, PB power numbers and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was not surprised, but I think um, we did enough on the bike leading into Geelong to uh, to make sure that I was maintaining that. Um, and, I mean, going in, I was a little bit like, oh, I haven't really done as much biking as perhaps I I usually have in the past or I haven't hit these these kind of sessions that I've hit leading into big races that I usually like to hit kind of for that, uh, you know, that confidence booster. But it's good to know that it's still there, you know, just because you haven't um, necessarily done these, you know, huge workouts on the bike. It's always there. Um, and it's not like I'd been just sitting around and resting on my laurels and not doing any bike riding. We were just doing enough to make sure that it was there and maintaining it and really focusing on that run. So again, like a lot of takeaways from, from that race on the weekend um, in terms of training and leading into races and, um, and how we need to prepare. So, yeah, I mean, I've done so many 70.3 races and I'm still learning. Um, and I think that's what I love. I love learning and I love improving and that's what keeps me, keeps me coming back. And just to quickly sort of circle back to to this like um, little bit of a change in focus and 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 direction with your run, you did say that um, you've cut out like the very easy running, like the plodding mm-hmm. running, um, and, and increased the volume a little bit. Sort of more specifically, how much volume were you doing versus sort of what you're starting to do and what you plan to do now? And when you say like um, you're doing your easy runs a bit faster, sort of how much faster are they? And like. Um, and do you do you feel like they're they're much harder as well? Like, are you are you like getting more fatigued from running that little bit faster versus like the the slower five minute per k running? And and how have you sort of felt it's like affected your overall training? So I think, for example, like a a long run that I did leading into Geelong a couple of weeks out. Um, you know, I did I think I did a ninety minute long run, and I took kind of fifteen twenty minutes to just kind of really jog and kind of warm up a little bit and then I just dialed in like four minute to 410 kilometer pace and um it felt great actually because I feel like when I'm running with a little bit more intent and purpose I'm actually engaging a lot more of the kind of the body and the muscles for running instead of um you know when you're running quite slow your form well my form definitely is quite sloppy 
And I feel like when I move a little bit better, I'm actually running better and engaging kind of the correct muscles. Um, so that's kind of one thing that we've, uh, we've identified and, but I wouldn't say, no, there's been more of a strain, um, you know, physically, cause I'm still, I'm still trying to run to, to heart rate and zones and things like that. So I'm still making sure that I'm, that I'm in those correct zones. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of a, a little bit more diligent now in, uh, in training in those zones. And that's something that kind of Reedy has brought on a lot more heart rate based, training and um yeah it's paying off for sure and uh sorry i know there was a there was a first part to that question but i've forgotten <laughs> yeah I, I just i was just um curious about like the volume difference so you saw you said you've um increased volume a little bit now versus what you used to used to do like just yeah um how much different is it so i mean it's gonna sound i'm not embarrassed to admit but there's quite a, a, a lot of time over the years, my running volume was quite low. Like, you know, listeners might be su um, surprised to hear that, you know, 40 to 50K, 50K a week might have been a big, a big run week for me, um, you know, last year or yeah, in the years prior. But now um, I did a couple of 80K run weeks with, uh, with Reedy and, uh, you know, the body's handling it pretty well, but you know, it's easy to say, oh, just go out and run more and you'll be faster. It's not necessarily the case. And obviously running is very, it's, there's a lot of impact on the body with running. And, um, you know, the more running you do, the more it takes out from your swimming and your biking. So you have to be careful with increasing volume. Um, you can't just go out and run double what you, what you usually do and expect to run better because, you know, um, this, injuries and 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 things like that that you need to kind of be wary of so it's um yeah it's kind of one of those things that you need to implement with a bit of caution and um you know tim tim is really good at that and i wouldn't say i'm injury prone but i'm definitely you know i'm not one of those guys that's going to handle back-to-back -back 100k run weeks you know day uh week in week out so yeah we have to be a little bit careful with him with implementing a little bit more volume but um I think, you know, having someone like Tim and his, his expertise, like he's been in the sport for so long and he's, he's, you know, asked, asked him, he's made plenty of mistakes in his career and it's great. You know, he's learned from those mistakes and, um, you know, he's not gonna, he's not gonna implement those mistakes into my program, which is something that I really value. And I think Tim, Tim knows me as an athlete, like I said, and he knows that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be one of those guys that's going to run, you know, hundred K run weeks, week in, week out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say some of my weeks are almost double what I would have done, you know, maybe last year or in, yeah, in the years prior. And with that sort of um, reduction in, in swimming and, and bike volume and, and probably intensity um, as a result of stepping up your running, how has that changed? Like you, you spoke about, you know, making your bike a strength in that 2018 to sort of 2022 period where you're obsessed with, or 2021, where you're obsessed with um, just like uber biking basically trying to win races through through swimming hard and, and and biking hard so how much um how much has the the sort of volume and intensity in in those two actually changed um in terms of sort of numbers compared to to now with reedy yeah so i mean every week has a different theme um so there was a couple of run focused weeks in there for sure i do you know, I might do two key run sessions and a long run and, um, and then, yeah, just some maintenance running through the weekend. I feel like the swimming and biking was just, 
almost a supplemental just to like maintenance phase almost where I wouldn't even be, you know, I might do a bike session, but it's not going to be a key session that I'm looking to, to get improvements or gains out of. It's more about maintenance and then focusing on those run sessions because, because that's really, you know, you look at the week as a whole and you identify the key days and then you kind of build the rest of the week around those key days um so i would say like in those in those bigger run weeks the bike volume perhaps might have still been pretty similar like hours wise but definitely the intensity would have dropped um so a lot of it would have just been maintenance focused um and then making sure that i'm hitting those hitting those key run sessions and you sort of spoke about earlier how something you love about reedy is that um he sort of is a holistic coach he doesn't just go um you know, here's your program and do it. So I guess what I'm curious about is, can you take us inside the the relationship between a triathlon coach and athlete? Because um, I think, again, like you hear a lot about coaches in big sports, um, but maybe a little bit of a more niche sport like triathlon, you don't, no one really ever talks about this. Like, how does that all work? Is it is it sort of pretty common in the world that like a, a coach will just set a program and text it or email it to the athlete and they follow it and and that's sort of where the relationship ends or, or yeah, take us, take us inside what a, what a coach athlete relationship looks like. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to, um, to what other coaches are doing. Um, I've had great experience with all my coaches, um, or most of my coaches through my career. Um, but yeah, like someone like Reedy identifies that, um, you know, triathlon is important and it's our job, but it's also, you know, it's, it's just swimming, biking and running, you know, and there's a lot of other things in life that, you know, are more important and things like that. And, um, and he also understands that there's external life stresses that affect, um, you know, mood, motivation, sleep, all that stuff. Um, and I think he's, he's very, um, in tune with the fact that all that plays into how you're feeling and how you're performing in training. And, you know, there's no point in training, trying to train really hard when your kind of life outside a triathlon is going poor. If you're not sleeping well, if you've, you know, if you, I don't know, got, yeah, other external pressures or, or stresses in life. So I think having that is, is super important and having Reedy kind of at, as a resource to kind of, you know, just jump on the call, uh, jump on the phone and, or text him or email him or something and be like, Hey mate, this is going on. He's, he's really, uh, really good with that. And I think he, he understands a lot, um, which is something that I really value as a coach as well, because I'm not one of those kind of yes man athletes that just likes to kind of, you know, wake up and, and do the training anyway. I am an, I am an emotional athlete. Um, and yeah, having, having someone like Reedy, who is also a very similar style of athlete, I think it, I think it works really well for me. That sort of um, takes me into my, my next question really well, that you are a bit of an emotional athlete. Um, I guess something that, that I was thinking earlier when you, you talk about um, the way you and Josh are going to race, um, you know, on the, on the weekend at Geelong and, and now hearing you talk about all these changes that you've made to your training, were you worried on the start line? Because obviously when, when as an athlete you make those changes, you never know how you're going to respond on race day or, or how it's actually going to um, affect your performance. So leading into the race at Geelong and, and on the start line pre-swim, were you sort of 
looking around at everyone, sort of almost worried about where you're at because because of that uncertainty in the change of training, or or were you just confident all week and, and on the start line? I mean, I'm I always get nervous and uh, always want to perform perform well. Um, you know, I like to uh, hold myself to a pretty high standard, so I do get nervous in in that respect. But I wasn't worried. I knew I was I was fit. Um, and while I have, it might seem like I've made a lot of changes, and I have, like in terms of you know coaching and um, and a little bit in my training as well. It hasn't been like a huge. Um, pendulum swing you know like the training is pretty similar between what I was doing with Matt and Tim there's just been some refinements and I've been able to train leading into Geelong and I knew that I was in good shape um but yeah you always have those kind of nagging thoughts like oh yeah I've been training well but race fitness is different than training fitness and things like that like I had the usual nerves and things like that but I I wasn't nervous about all the changes that I'd made leading in. Um, I was actually probably more excited actually to see, to see how they translate um, to the race course. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it all, all worked out pretty well in the end. And uh, it kind of gives me and Tim as well, that, that, uh, that reassurance that, that what we're doing is working and now we can kind of refine even more going into the, uh, into the rest of the season. And you did say earlier that, that the biggest like difference in your run um, on Sunday at Geelong versus how you'd been feeling in the past was, wasn't necessarily a numbers thing. It was just how you felt. So you obviously ran really fast, but you, you, you obviously also felt really good out there. So what does it feel like as a, as a guy like yourself who just led, led, on, led through the swim, you know, rode off the front, came into to T2 with a lead and then to go out there on the run and, and be feeling good. Did, did you just feel good the whole way? Does it take us inside like when you, when you're doing that half marathon, how it does actually feel and, and what the difference in feeling between like a good one, like on the weekend and a bad one, like you might've had in the past is actually like. Yeah. I think as, as professional athletes, we're, we're so in tune with our body. You know, we, uh, we know um, the slightest that we recognize the subtlest changes. And um, I think, yeah, when I got off and started running, I just knew that I was feeling good. I had good kind of posture. I had good form. I had good knee drive. And, um, and something that I noticed last year in a lot of my running um, was I, I didn't feel springy and bouncy. And when I was running in Geelong, I felt like I was getting good energy return. You know, I felt like my foot strike was nice. Um, it's kind of hard to articulate a little bit, but I kind of had a good flow state, you know what I mean? And I just felt felt quite comfortable and springy and bouncy and I had good, uh, good knee drive and, uh, and things like that and good leg carry. Um, yeah, it, it is hard to kind of articulate, but perhaps last year I felt like I was kind of dead. I felt flat. I felt laborious running, you know, a bit sloppy. Um, so yeah. And while a one thirteen is good, it's still, still not quite where I want it to be. Um, but I also didn't expect to come out and run, you know, 110 or 111 at the first race of the year. It's, um, and if I, frankly, if I did, I'd be a little bit like, oh, where do we go from here? You know, is this, uh, but it's good to kind of have that room for improvement. Tim and I had a debrief after the race about, you know, this is what we need to do to get down to that 110, 111. And, um, yeah, it's right there within reach for sure. Can you take us inside that conversation or is that sort of a little bit too private? No, no, it's not, it's not private at all, really. It's, um, you know, I think I ran a 113, which was, I think it's 328 
kilometre pace. Um, so, you know, to get it down to a 111, it's only, what, four or five seconds per K, um, which doesn't sound like much, but it actually can be quite a bit um, when you kind of put it into a half a half marathon. So, um, but I mean, it's definitely within reach. Like I said, it, it's um, bringing it down from that 328 to 320. Three or three twenty-four, which is definitely definitely attainable, and I think it's just more, more about kind of building that resilience. Because in the last kind of five or six k of the run on the weekend, I did feel like I was tightening up a little bit and and fatiguing. But for that first, um, you know, for the first fifteen sixteen k, I did feel like I was kind of kind of running within myself. Like I was running hard, but I felt controlled, and I felt um, yeah, I felt in control, which is the main thing. And I think. I think I could have found a little bit more as well if I were if I did have someone kind of running shoulder to shoulder with like I could have found probably another 30 seconds so yeah like I said huge confidence booster going into the rest of the season and something I'm always really curious about just because of my own love for shoes is um, how much do you think about the 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 shoes that you're going to run in on race day now that the, the run has become like a big focus for you yeah, so um, fortunately, I actually I signed a, uh, a contract with um, Sacconi at the end of last year. So I'm running in the I ran in the Endorphin Pro Two on the weekend, and um, it's actually a shoe that I really love. And I actually ran in it quite a lot last year as well um, before being sponsored by them. And uh, you know, in this age of super shoes, there is a lot of decisions out there. But for me the Sacconi shoe just feels really fast, but really natural as well. I feel like a lot of other shoes on the market almost feel like they're changing your gait too much. And um, I don't really like that. I don't like a shoe forcing me into a certain running stride or a certain running gait. I like something that feels a little bit more natural, but, um, but yeah, and that's why I fall in love. I fell in love with the Sacconis and now I'm fortunate enough to have them on on board as a partner and um i think it goes to show that how much faith i have in those shoes because in this day and age where the technology keeps advancing and this the shoes different new shoes coming out that are you know claiming all these things like faster shoe coming out left right and center um for me to kind of have sacconi there as a as a partner kind of yeah it just it's it kind of goes to show that the Sacconi shoe for me is is a great shoe and I was able to run well on the weekend. You sort of spoke earlier about how um, after, like after the race at Geelong, it was quite positive because it is so early in the year and you've seen like these improvements. What are your goals for this year? Where, where, where are like the big A races that you want to do well at? Um, so I'm, I, I want to qualify for Kona this year. That's, um, that's something that I really want to do. And I think I'm going to do Ironman Cairns in um, in June. So I'm actually going back to the US next week. I'm going to do um, one or two races over there and then come back for Ironman Cairns and hopefully secure that Kona qualification. Um, that's what I want to do. That's kind of the main the main goal for this year. And then I'll sprinkle in kind of those other um, – I want to do those PTO tour races as well that's been announced. I don't know if you've seen that. They're having those – the uh, I think it's the U.S. Open. They're trying to model it after the tennis and the golf. They're going to have a U.S. Open and a and a Canada Open race, um, kind of in that middle of the year. So I'd I'd really like to qualify and do those as well. But um, kind of the main thing, everything is going to revolve around getting that Kona qualification and um, and and racing well there because I think 
you know, that race dynamic, I think can really suit me. And I think I can really put down a great performance there. That's uh, that's pretty exciting because I, I think you're one of the few guys who for like quite a while now, almost, what would it be like? six, seven years has been known as a, as a 70.3 guy, like a middle distance triathlon guy. Most guys sort of do, you know, do a little bit of short course, a bit of, a bit of like long course, or, you know, they might do one Ironman a year and, and like the majority 70.3s, but you've always been someone who's got, who's sort of gone, I am a, like a mid call, like a mid um, distance triathlete. And, and I'm going to focus on that. And you've done it for like a really long period of time before sort of shifting to your main goal, becoming Kona, which I think you do tend to, to find happens a little bit earlier for, for some people. So how has that all played out with you? Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of knew that 70.3 was working out really well. And, um, you know, you can race a 70.3 at a really high level every single month and you can do 10 of them a year <laughs> if you wanted to. And um, I, I'm one of those guys that just loves racing. And uh, I think that's kind of the routine that I fell in every year, just racing a lot and, um, and really enjoying the racing. And, uh, I think as well, I got into 70.3 to quite a young age. I was only in my early twenties and I didn't want to rush into the full distance Ironman. Cause, um, you know, I think this, I think it can take away from your 70.3 speed. And I really wanted to keep focusing on 70.3s and um, doing well there and doing well at the 70.3 world championships. But, now that I'm 31, I kind of feel like, you know, it might be time to, to look at doing Ironman and, um, and starting my Ironman apprenticeship, so to speak. And I've always loved the racing Kona. I've always watched it and, um, and always kind of wanted to be there. And now I finally feel like, you know, I'm at a point in my career where I feel like I can focus on that now. And, um, I feel like I've done my time at 70.3 and, and that's not to say that I'm not going to still race 70.3 and uh, and try and be competitive. Um, for sure, I'm still going to do that. But yeah, the the thought of Kona and the thought of racing well there really excites me. And I think that's that's something that you know makes me realize that now I'm ready to to do the the Ironman and um, and get that Kona qualification. And what changes will you have to make to make that happen? Have you guys like sort of had these discussions? Do you sort of know what, what you're going to do differently, especially, I guess, leading into Cairns, which isn't that far away. It's only a, a few months away. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no doubt that Ironman is definitely a lot harder on the body. You need a lot more resilience. And, um, and I think that's where some of these bigger run weeks are coming into play. Like we're already focused, not focusing, but we're already kind of preparing the body for some of those big, big mileage weeks that you have to do. You can't avoid the big mileage weeks when you're training for Ironman, which you can kind of avoid for 70.3 to an extent. Um, but for Ironman, I don't think you can. And um, so for sure, there's going to be some periods of, of deeper training fatigue and, and volume and things like that. And, um, you know, fortunately, Tim is um you know he's been and he's done it all and he knows what's required to race well at Ironman he's done really well at Ironman himself and uh you know he's he has that experience and he knows he knows what's required so to have uh to have that knowledge kind of going into our into the next few months is going to be really really important and I think you know I mean I don't really know what's uh what he's got you know on the agenda for those maybe those months ahead uh, i'm sure i'm gonna get my program and be like oh hang on a sec but um <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's exciting to me and it's kind of one of those one of those it's it's unknown and it's a new challenge 
Um, and that's really motivating. And um, you sort of have, you've raced one Ironman before, haven't you? Tell me if you've done more than that, but I'm pretty sure you, you raced Busso in, uh, was it 2018, 2019? 2019, yeah, 2019. 2019. So yeah, that was my first one and only. Um, and I mean, that was kind of the start of kind of my Ironman and I wanted to continue doing Ironman. I was going to do another one in 2020 and and so forth. But then obviously with the pandemic and things, I kind of had to be a little bit more selective about my races and I went kind of back to uh, back more into my wheelhouse as 70.3s. But um, now we're kind of getting back into some normalcy in the world. I feel like, yeah, it's time to, uh, to kind of open that, uh, yeah, the Ironman um, goals again and, uh, and move forward with that. And what was that day like in that, that debut Ironman? Because like obviously um, Alistair Brownlee won that race and, and he put in like an insane performance. He went like 7.45 there on that course and it was pretty hot. Um, and you were with him for, for the whole bike, weren't you, and, and a little bit into the run. Can you sort of take me inside that day and, and, and what that experience was like? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, Al and I, we pretty much swam and biked together the whole way and um, I feel like it was kind of a great – alliance that we had i was actually really happy when when i heard that alice was going to race um because i thought yeah it could play into my into my hands really well and um yeah we swam i think we swam 46 and we rode really well together i think we rode 410 um and then i mean towards the end of the bike i was starting to to struggle a little bit um not struggle but i mean just you know, it's a long, it's a long time to be, uh, to be riding your bike at a, at a high, uh, high power output. So I was kind of looking forward to getting off and then started the run. And, you know, I, I thought I could run, I thought I could run about 250. Um, and I think, I just think I wasn't prepared enough. I don't, I, I don't think I had the muscle conditioning and I got to about 25 K and it just kind of all fell apart. Um, in the back half of that marathon, really, I got, I was walking a lot and I ended up, yeah, just, it, it almost just turned into a, into a survival. I didn't even care about time or place or anything. I just wanted to finish. And, um, I think, I think I ran the first half marathon in one twenty one or something like that. And then the second half marathon was like 25 minutes slower or something like that. Cause I just had to walk so much. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it was a big learning experience and I think, um, you know, a huge kind of um, eye opener into what I need to do. And um, I'm not de- I'm like, I'm definitely not going to make that same mistake again. You know, I know I need more muscle conditioning um, because everything else I was fine. I was, you know, I was lucid. I felt energy levels felt fine. It was just a severe muscle deterioration of my quads. It was like every time I took a step, it was like someone stabbing me in the quads with glass. <laughs> um, and I think, like that just comes down to muscle conditioning and um, yeah, I'm not going to make that same mistake again. I'll definitely go into cans with a little bit more preparation and um, yeah, some more, some more mileage under the belt. I've sort of just um, I've, like I've, something I've been curious about and, and like, I'm very, very curious to get your take on it as a competitor to these guys. But, but speaking of Alistair Brownlee, you sort of look at what he did like in his short course or ITU days and, you know, like it's it, you could very strongly argue um, he's the the greatest triathlete of all time. What he what he sort of did at his best, I don't think anyone has has sort of been able to replicate. But 
But then you have a guy like Jan Frodeno now, who a lot of people talk about as, as, as sort of the greatest triathlete of all time, maybe just because of what he's done over all distances and, and sort of how dominant he's been in long course triathlon, which sort of tends to get a little bit more coverage than short course triathlon. So what do you think the difference is between a guy like Alistair and a guy like Jan, who Alistair had like such a, like he, he objectively had a much better short course career, even though Jan's was still very good. Um, and, and what makes it sort of the, the, like, what's the difference that means Jan can sort of dominate like every single race he does, whereas Alistair's a little bit more up and down, can, can have like a, a great race like he did at Busso against you and then can have a bit of a, a crappier race at Kona where it doesn't play out for him. Do you, do you sort of like have your own sort of ideas about why that is? Um, I mean, I think, um, I think Jan just has it really dialed in, in terms of the long course stuff, Kona and 70.3s really. Um, I think there's no doubt that Alistair, I think was a superior ITU athlete, but, um, for Jan to be able to win both Olympics and Kona, um, you know, multiple times, um, yeah, like you can't argue with that resume, you know what I mean? Um, so I don't know. I don't know those guys well enough. I don't know their kind of ins and outs and their day to day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm friendly with them and we'll, we'll have a chat and say hello, but I don't really know how they operate as, as athletes. So, you know, it's hard for me to kind of discern what the differences are between the two. Um, but I would say, yeah, in terms of recency, I would say that Jan kind of, yeah, definitely has the, has the upper edge on, um, on Alistair for sure. But I would like to, uh, I definitely like to see both of those guys at full hundred percent fitness battling it out. And yeah, who knows, perhaps we'll see that this year at, uh, uh the St. George world championships or Kona. And hopefully I'll be there at Kona. <laughs> and I, I reckon like an interesting follow-up from that is when you see guys on the start line and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you're just there to race, you know, I, I know, like you said, you love racing. Um, and you're more, it's more like triathlon's more an internal game. Like you're, you're worried about your own performance and you want to get the most out of yourself. But who on their day in a 70.3 or, or, you know, even an Ironman, who would you be sort of most f- like worried about racing? Who do you think, you know, if they're on, they're just I, like, I don't think I can beat them. Is there, is there anyone? I mean, I'd have to say someone like Gustav Eden probably, you know, he's shown his, um, you know, he's so utterly dominant over the last uh, few world championships. You know, Nice, he won quite easily. Um, and then the PTO champs in Daytona, he won again pretty easily. And then St. George, um, you know, at the end of last year, in September last year, he won as well. He wasn't really pushed that much either. So I think, you know, at the moment, he's definitely the most dominant 70.3 athlete out there. And I think, I definitely think on his day at the moment, I don't think there's many people that can match him, like not even a really, really fit um, Brownlee or or Yarn. Like I think if if those guys were at St. George last year, I don't think they would have um, they would have been able to beat him either. And so what's your mindset when you see, like, so say you are lining up at the at the 70.3 Worlds in, um, in St. George, what's your mindset going into race a guy like that? I mean, yeah, it's kind of Gustav had an amazing race, and I think um, you know he put together a great swim, bike, and run. And I think uh, I was a little bit not surprised, but he definitely dominated, and I didn't think he was going to dominate kind of as easily as he did. 
Um, I thought he had a bit of a weakness perhaps on the bike, um, but he showed us that he, uh, it's actually a strength for him. And he, uh, he actually gapped the whole field on the, on the bike up snow Canyon. So, I mean, I, that's the way I approached the race. And then I was actually, uh, you know, kind of eating crow a little bit, you know, I had egg on my face, um, going up snow Canyon when he dropped everyone. Um, so, I mean, it's almost like going back to the drawing board and, um, you know, if, um, if I can lift a couple of percent on the bike and run, you know, that's all it takes. Um, but at this level, a couple of percent is a huge, a huge step. You know what I mean? Like, um, improvements kind of at the level that I'm at are so, are so minuscule that it's, yeah, it's, uh, it can sometimes seem like a, like a big jump. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, I just need to go about doing, doing what I can and I try not to worry about other people too much. I try and just focus on myself and, um, you know, sometimes it's not even as much as I'd love to beat those guys. For me, a lot of it comes down to getting the most out of myself and it's a, it's an internal, um, like I'm driven internally more than externally, you know, and, uh, I like getting the most out of myself and a lot of like in saying that a lot of my, my best races and the races I'm most proud of are races that I actually haven't won. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just try and focus on myself a little bit and, um, and then, yeah, usually the results will kind of follow that. So when you're out there on, on race day, like say it's St. George again, and, um, and you see like what Gustav's doing and like you maybe see him go past on the bike when, when there's like turnarounds or like out on the run where you just cross paths. Are you sort of in that moment, are you, are you just so focused on your own performance that you don't even think about it? Or, or are you seeing like the gap he's got and thinking like, what the fuck is, how has he done that? <laughs> I mean, there's a bit of that for sure. Um, I think 70.3, you do play the race a little bit more than Ironman. I think Ironman, you kind of stick to your own guns and numbers and things like that. 70.3, you have to respond a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think it was more of a case for me that I just couldn't respond um, to that move that he, he put in at, at St. George. But um, it's kind of one of those things, like I said, I didn't really expect him to be so dominant over the bike and the run. I know he's a great runner. Um, but like when we raced each other at the PTO champs at Daytona, I actually outrode him there. So I kind of wasn't expecting that as um, for him to ride away from us like he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, when, when someone goes like that um, and you can't respond, it's um, you got to just stay in the game a little bit because just because one person goes, it doesn't mean that the race is, uh, is over. So. And you sort of mentioned before that some of your proudest races have been races that you um, you haven't even won. But what is that? What is that race that you look back on? Even though your career has still got a lot left to to run, but what to this date is the race that you look back on and go, "That was like that was the best me." I I did a race in um, twenty fifteen. It was actually Geelong seventy point three. I got second to uh, to Crowey actually, and. Um, you know, it was almost one of those races that was the catalyst or a turning point in my career where I was like, hang on a sec, you know, I've just gone toe to toe. I think Crowey and I, we did swam bike and did 20K of the run together. And then he got me in the last, uh, the last kilometer of the run. But it was kind of one of those moments where I've like, I've just gone toe to toe with, with Craig Alexander. And uh, it was almost like a catalyst in my career where I'm like, hang on, I can, I can be good you know what i mean <laughs> like because at that time i'd kind of just been a bit of a domestic neo pro almost i had a couple of 
you know, podiums in Australia and things. And while this was another podium, it was, um, you know, being able to push Crowey right into the end was kind of one, one of those turning points in my career. And then I went off to the US and had a couple of victories. And yeah, so that race there, like I said, I didn't win, but it was one of those races that I'm really proud of because it was almost like a turning point in my career that kind of woke me up a little bit and triggered something in my brain um, that that I can be competitive in this sport. Yeah, I remember that race so well. And that year you had, I remember really well, but but that race at Geelong, that was on the old Geelong course, wasn't it? Where the run was, like in my opinion, a fair bit harder than, than what the current Geelong course is. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was... Um, it was different. You went um, kind of down into the into the botanical gardens a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And like that hill coming back. I just remember like I, cause I lived in Geelong. I actually went to university there at the time and I, I remember just going down to watch and, um, and yeah, you and Crowey ran insanely fast that day. I reckon you both ran like mid to low 112 that day on a course that's way harder. Yeah, we did. And you sort of just talk about on the weekend running 113 on a on a course that is quite a bit faster, I reckon. So it's that was a crazy day. You both put in like world class performances that day. Like it would have, it would have taken, um, you know, a really really good sort of um, person to to beat either of you that day. Um, and then the year you went on to have that year, like I reckon you won every race you did that year, just about, didn't you? <laughs> I think I, um, yeah, it was probably one of still one of my most successful years to date. I think I had about five. 70.3 wins um but yeah like i said it was that that catalyst from that geelong race and um yeah it's just something i'm really proud of uh like i've won races before and uh you know you're like oh yeah like i'm happy to win but it's not always you're not always fully satisfied um and uh yeah i think i think there's a lot to be said about you know it's not always about winning winning's nice but it's it's also nice to to battle someone or get the most out of yourself um and that's that's kind of what keeps me coming back and something i thought i sort of noticed then in, in you without you know um being in sort of in your in your mind was that it just seemed like there was a shift in you sort of mentally as much as anything where you're just like oh i can win these races because you then sort of went to Cairns um and crowy was in that race and so was reedy who we've talked a lot about and burkle and you know a lot of really good guys and you just you just led like you just took off from the front and you're like, well, fuck it. I'm going to win this race. Um, and you were sort of untouchable that day with the same guys who had sort of been beating you historically. Um, was it, was it just all mental or what do you think did actually change? Was it that day at Geelong where you realized? I think so. And that's what I keep coming back to. Like I said, it's that Geelong was almost that flip in that, that trigger in my head of, um, yeah, that confidence booster. And I think, um, that's all it takes. You know, a lot of it is mental, um, and, and backing yourself and trusting yourself. And I think in the past I was a little bit scared of, um, you know, riding by myself or, or something like that. You know, I used to, I used to be scared of riding 90 K by myself. And, and I think after that race, it was kind of one of those things like, uh, yeah, that, that confidence boost that I needed and, and that, that trust in my own ability as an athlete. I think that's what, that race in Geelong, it's why I keep coming back to it, was the catalyst for everything. And it kind of started that that snowball effect from uh from that race. Like 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 I said, I went on, I won, I think I won Cairns that year. I beat Crowey again at Vine Man, my first it was my first um US race and my first international victory as well. And it's kind of 
yeah, kind of surreal almost. And that's why I always come back to that race as kind of my fondest memory. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really crazy time in your career. And then like what you've gone on to do since then, like, I think, um, I think you might be the most underrated triathlete in the world. I know everyone inside the world thinks really like really highly of you, but like for a period there for that 2015 year, that 2016, 17, 18, like, uh, I think like you were, you were 1% off winning like one of those 70.3 world champs where you came sort of fourth and fifth and uh, I think like sixth or seventh in a couple of them and you were right there. So yeah, I, I think maybe you are the most like sort of underrated triathlete probably in the world, I re- like my personal opinion. <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think maybe from from the uh, outside looking in, but I think most of the people that I'm racing kind of know my strengths and kind of know, know what I'm about. So I don't think any of my competition underrate me. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I've, I've had a good, good kind of last five years, um, at 70.3 racing for sure. And I've managed to, uh, to notch up a few victories, which is nice. And, and sort of just like one last question to finish on Apo, which I'm, I'm fascinated by, like, I always think about this and I always wonder this when I'm, when I'm looking at like at professional triathletes is you're transitioning into, um, into Ironman from like a very, very successful 70.3 career where you were competing to win world championships. You weren't just there to take part. You were, you were trying to win and, and you got very, very close about four times. Um, but when you're making this transition to Kona, are you going to Kona and are you training like thinking, I can win Kona, like this will happen if I get everything right? Or is it just like, oh, I'd like to do well there and you know I think I can do well there? Like where, where is your mindset around it? Um, I mean, I think I touched on it a little bit before, but I try not to go in to, uh, to races with a kind of an external number. Obviously I'd love to win and that is the goal, but I try not to focus on the outcome too much. I, I, you know, it sounds a bit cheesy, but, you know, focus on the process and the outcome kind of takes care of itself um, kind of thing. So for me right now, it's just about being the best athlete I can. And I think I look at the racing Kona and how it unfolds and I know what I need to do. You know, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility at all that I can, that I can be successful there. But, you know, I think it's foolish to go in and be like, I'm, I'm going to win because then it also can set you up for, uh, for disappointment as well. And I think, you know, there's not, too many people that go there and win on debut or have instant success at Kona. I think it's something that requires a little bit of um, finesse and experience. And um, yeah, but I wouldn't say I'm going there just to make up the numbers. I know what I need to do to have success there and I'm going to, I'm going to do my very best to, uh, to execute. But, um, but yeah, I think instead of looking at the outcome, I'm just going to focus on, what I can do to be successful there and, and, uh, what I need to do in training. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry if that's a bit of a cop out answer, mate. <laughs> <laughs> if it's the truth, that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, let's, let's wrap it up there, but thanks so much for, for all of that inside Apo. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really fascinating. Um, and, and like, like I said, I, um, I just think it's like so highly of you as an athlete that, but I think, yeah, like you won't say it obviously and, and, and I understand why, but I think you are a real chance to 
to even outperform what you've done in 70.3 in, in long distance, the way you swim and ride and, and the way you run off, uh, off hard bikes. I've got, I've got all the confidence in the world in you. So I'm, I'm really excited to see that play out this year and, and in the coming years and, and, and hope you have, um, hope you have a heap of success there and, and even more than you have in the 70.3 world so it'll that'll be fun to to follow along with and um and yeah thanks heaps for, for jumping on and having the chat yeah thanks for having me mate yeah i appreciate it and uh appreciate all those all those kind words it's uh yeah it's nice to uh to hear <laughs> but um but yeah it's been great to chat and it's been a long time coming i know we've had this uh kind of in the pipeline for a for a while and uh yeah i'm glad to be able to get on here and uh and have a chat yeah, yeah. Let's just um, I'll, uh, I'll I'll pretend that you it wasn't just because you were too busy and and it, I was just waiting for you to get a big win. <laughs> no, no. If anyone's for everyone listening, uh, Jeff's been trying to get me on for a couple of months, so uh, it wasn't just the win, but uh, but yeah, good to be good to be here and good to chat. I'm a persistent ex girlfriend. <laughs> All good, mate. Uh, have it. Have a good day, Apo. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it.